Good afternoon, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. A warm welcome is extended to all those worshipping with us this afternoon. Uh, our song of approach this afternoon is Psalm 28, verses 1 and 2. And we also like to welcome Pastor Julius von Sprunzen to the pulpit.
hear the call to worship from Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Let us rise and worship our God. Congregation, from where does our help come? Our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing together now Psalm 124. Church of all ages and all places in the world, confess our Catholic undoubted faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed as we sing it in hymn one. 
join our voices together in prayer, saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also Now open God's holy word and we'll read together two psalms, Psalm 125 and Psalm 129. We read these psalms in connection with the confession of the church about uh, the church. Psalm 125. The Song of Ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. To good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. Those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. And also Psalm 129, another song of ascents. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. But they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow, which with it the reaper cannot fill his hands, nor the one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Then we'll also read together the confession of the church as we find it in Lord's Day 21. Before that, we will pray together, ask the Lord to bless the proclamation of his word. Let us pray now. Gracious God and Father in Heaven, what a privilege it is to be in Your presence as Your people, covenant people, believers, Your children. We thank You, Lord, that we may be able to gather together on this day of rest and this day of worship to celebrate our salvation in Jesus Christ, to Celebrate the relationship that we have with You as our Father in Jesus Christ and also with one another as Your chosen people. We thank You, Lord, that we may have this, this time to, to hear Your Word, hear Your voice spoken to us. It is a 
word of comfort, a word that reveals to us Your grace, Your power. And also, Lord, we thank You that we have the opportunity to respond together in thankfulness, in faith, in joy. We pray, O Lord, for Your blessing over the proclamation of Your Word uh, this afternoon. We thank You, Lord, that we may hear and confess this truth, and we pray that You will work powerfully in our hearts by Your Spirit, by Your Word, that we may grow in our understanding of who You are, and and Lord, that we may grow in our love for You and for one another. And that this all may be to the praise and the glory of Your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21. Now let's read this together. You can find it in the Book of Praise, Lord's Day 21. Here the church confesses, what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Christian church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for Himself, by His Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with Him, and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use His gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, who here today can point to the church? Now think about your answer. Who can point to the church? Now if you pointed to the church building, that would not be correct. You can have a church without a building because the church is made up of people. Maybe you already knew that and you were thinking ahead and you pointed to yourself. This also would not be correct. The church is not an individual, but it is an assembly. It's a congregation of individuals. 
And not an assembly that could be compared to a football team or a social club that people set up. But we confess that the church is an assembly or a congregation that God Himself brings together. The marks of the true church of this assembly are the pure proclamation of the Word of God, the pure administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. And so we confess also another confession, the Belgic Confession, Article 27. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation and assembly of true believers in Christ, awaiting their total salvation in Jesus Christ, washed by His blood, and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So it is a people, but it is a special people. A washed people. Sanctified. As we continue to look at Scripture, we see that God began to call this church out of the world already in paradise when He made the distinction between the children of the serpent and the children of the promise, the children of Eve. And we confess He will continue calling people out of the world into His church from every place until Christ returns. So the church is made up of brothers and sisters who are still alive wherever they may live in the world. No one can see the church of Jesus Christ in its fullness And so when we speak all these things about the church and we confess them, it is spoken, confessed in faith. What we say about the church is an article of faith. We can't see it all in its entirety. We believe that the church is more than what we see every Sunday. But at the same time, we also confess and and believe that we are a part of the church. That's how we say it in the catechism. We confess it together. I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of the church. And I preach to you this gospel this afternoon. We believe that we belong to a church chosen to everlasting life. We'll see the divine origin of the church, the human weakness in the church, and then finally the divine promise to the church. We need to be very clear, especially in this age of activism, that no person, no man, no woman, can create or form a church. You see, people can try to start up a church by building a beautiful building that looks like a church. And then filling this building with people who want to sing, who are willing to obey some rules, And then they choose a good man to to be the leader. You see that all around. Maybe not so much in Canada, where I live. You see people trying to make their churches. The very clear people cannot make a church. We confess that only God can form His church. The Gospel we confess today is that the Son of God is building His church. He's the one who's who's edifying, who's building His church from the beginning of the world. And He will continue this work until the end of the world. So people can see the church in many places in the world, but no one person is able to create or, or form 
build His own church. This is the work of God alone. The church has a divine origin. And so how is the Son of God building His church? Well, we confess this as well. He, the, church has, the Son of God is building the church by gathering people. He's gathering everyone who received true faith through the Holy Spirit and the Word. Christ builds His church by gathering people together, people who were elected before the foundation of the world, people God already chose before they were born. They're being gathered together in the church. They're called out of the world, out of the whole human race, and they're shown to be different. It's very important to understand this. It shows that Christ gathers His church and He gathers those who believe in Him. So faith is the basis of church membership. And this faith is not our faith in the church. It's faith in Jesus Christ. So we believe that this church exists it has its divine origins, but we do not place our faith in the church. It's good to mention, uh, sometimes we have our priorities a little bit out, and we, we think it's very important to have a, a big church, a fancy church, a church that's very active. And we, we make it a temptation to make that church grow bigger at any cost. And then all of a sudden, the value of the church is is measured by the size of the church. But the church is not measured, evaluated by the programs that it offers. It's not valued because of the beauty of its building. The faith is the basis of the membership of the church. People often people who invest a lot of time in the buildings, a lot of times in the activities, and they do that because they want that church to look like they want it to look like, according to their expectations. That's what it means to put your faith in the church, right? You, you want it to look like you think it should look. You want the right people to be there so you feel comfortable. You want to have the right activities so that your children feel comfortable. And and you'll do whatever it takes to to have that. It's important to have that church look like you want it to look. The Bible now teaches the church cannot save. The church cannot save us. We do not put our faith in the church. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's a starting point. All those who who look to Christ in the first place, they receive this faith from our Lord. They look to Him, and then He gathers all those who are looking to Him together. So we have very little say in who can be a member of the church or not. God builds the church by giving faith to undeserving sinners who were chosen before the foundation of the world. And then He gives them the desire to join the true church in their city. 
And then He brings them together and puts them under the pure preaching of the Word and the sacraments. Faith comes first, and after that comes the church. But no man can give faith. No man can produce faith in himself. And so we as men and women are not able to choose who can join the church or not. You see that? God is behind faith. Faith is a gift. God gathers all who believe. And He gives faith to whoever He wants. Whoever He wants. Jesus says that in John 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wills. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's for God to choose. God to gather. And it's for us to look and to celebrate God's grace. And that applies even to the leaders. We, we notice part of the church is church discipline. The leaders are involved in, in, in membership questions. Who, who may profess their faith? Who may have their child baptized? Who may receive the sign of the covenant? But the leaders then are, are limited in their decisions by the will of God. The spiritual leaders of the church, the office bearers, are simply responding to those who manifest true faith in their lives. Those who accept and apply God's will for these people. Those who have the keys of the kingdom cannot prevent anyone who has true faith from entering into the church. You'll see that there's no question in the form for baptism. There's no question in the form for profession of faith that makes distinctions based on race or social position or intelligence or even personal holiness. The list of prerequisites is very small. Who may be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ? Who may be a member of the Canadian Reformed Church Jesus Christ in Cloverdale. All those who believe in Jesus Christ. Paul says it in Galatians 5, because in Christ the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. When Christ calls sinners, He calls every kind of sinner. So the church is not based on our own tastes and preferences. We cannot build it. We cannot even shape what it's going to look like. But we receive all that God gives us. All those whom Christ calls to Himself. And look at the Gospels who He calls. He calls Nicodemus, important governor, country, Pharisee, high up, probably wealthy. And he calls the next chapter, this is John 3, eh? the next chapter, John 4. Who is it? It's the lowly Samaritan woman married five times, filled with shame. One beside the other. I don't think Nicodemus would have liked that in his church. I don't think the woman would have felt too comfortable sitting beside Nicodemus, the Jew of Jews, the same church. 
And they didn't have a choice, did they? The Lord Jesus put them together. And so we have that today. All classes, all races, the Lord Jesus Christ brings us together. Not because we need to, it's not because of something we've done, but because of His choice. The rich beside the poor, the different races beside each other. It's a beautiful thing. It's good to know that it's Jesus Christ who's doing that work. It's this fellowship with Christ. The fact that we're all looking up to Him. And then we get brought together and we kind of end up beside each other because we all believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. That's also the foundation of what we confess about the communion of saints. Question and answer 55 lays it out so clearly. First, we're all looking to Christ. As members of Christ, we have communion with Him. So we're all looking up. And then we come together. And then we see, secondly, we're duty-bound to use our gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. And you'll notice, duty-bound, because uh, we often have a little bit of problem with that. We, we, we didn't really want that person to be in the same church with us. But now they're there. They believe. God brought them together. Now we work together. Duty-bound, readily, cheerfully, celebrating God's grace, not just in your own life, but in the life of those around you. And so we, we may live in communion with each other. We need to accept each other. To cooperate with each other. Love one another because God first loved us. And you can open your Bible. I could, could go on and on, but you can't add any words to what John says in 1 John chapter 4. It's so very clear when we talk about the communion of saints. First in verse 7, 1 John 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then in verse 19 and 20, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, that means that person's looking up Christ, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The Holy Spirit is saying, be a living member of the body of Christ. The unity of the church is the unity of the true faith. It also means everyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ is not a part of the church. It will not be saved. Everyone who, who does not love God, or then we could say that one more step, who is not loving his neighbor, John says, does not love God. If you don't love God, you're also not a part of the church. If you are visiting the church today and you are not already a member of the faithful church, a faithful church, you need to hear the voice of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, who calls you right now to repent of your sins, to believe in His work, to to look to Him for the forgiveness of your sins, and to follow Him like a sheep following a shepherd. Follow Him to life. 
Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was killed, with sacrificed on the cross, and with His blood, He bought for God a people from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Revelation 5, verse 8. It brings it all together. That's what we'll sing also in Psalm 89. Church is established by God. And then you could see of all those who, who know Him, that list of nations, Rahab, which is a reference to Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia. The church doors are, are open. The Son of God came for, for all who believe in Him. And He is gathering. He will continue to gather a church for Himself. If you do not know Him, if you do not believe in Him, that's the call that you can hear. No one can say, well, I'm not Dutch. I'm not Canadian. I can't be a part of this church. It includes you members. It includes children of believers. It may also include you, visitor, to come to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our confession of the church is a gracious confession. It fills us with joy. We have something to say. We hear the call of God to all men to come to drink the water of life. Not even sin can hinder the eternal plan of God. We see that also in the second point, the human weakness in the church. So here we are, all together, believing and confessing what we believe, or confessing what we believe about the church. And we say, I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Notice, I. Say that, pointing to yourself. And now think about what you're saying. What kind of person is a living member of the church? You, every night you go to bed, you confess your sins. You ask for forgiveness. You're always struggling against that sin. You are a member of the church of Jesus Christ forever. And when we say that, and when we think about that, then we all of a sudden realize the church is made up of people who are still fighting their sins. There is still human weakness in the church. It has divine origins. It's the work of Jesus Christ. He's carrying out, bringing to to fruition His electing pleasure about all men in all the world. And yet there's human weakness. You won't always be satisfied. In the church, you see the most beautiful things, the transformation of life. And you see the most, the ugliest things. Rebellion in the face of grace. So how can we explain this? It's good to think about it. Article 29 of the Belgian Confession also talks about the church. And there we confess that there are hypocrites who are mingled in, mixed in, with the faithful in the church. They are people who participate visibly in the church, 
but they do not actually love Jesus Christ in their hearts. The type who go through the motions, who even know the right things to say, they're often very well educated, but they do not love Jesus Christ in their hearts. John warns about such people that they, they're the type who, who go out from us, but they weren't from us, part of us. The comparison is made, they are compared to like kid, kidney stones in the body, which receives nutrition from the body, but is not actually a part of the body. It's a, an alien object. Now we confess that there are hypocrites in the church. We confess that they do not love Jesus Christ with all their heart. Therefore, they, they, to love others as well doesn't flow. And so what will happen is that we are hurt by hypocrites in the church. It happens that members of a church suffer because of the words and the actions of hypocrites who have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit. But hypocrites are not the only culprits who cause suffering in the church. As you all know, sincere Christians who love Jesus Christ, they also sin. They also hurt people. Think about your marriage. Think about your family. How is your relationship with your mom or your dad or with your children? You love them, but sometimes you hurt them. So the church is made up of sinners. And although we, we there are sometimes... Although we're all, all fighting against our sins, and sometimes we are correcting one another, we should not be surprised by sins in the church. It happens, brothers and sisters, very sad. But it's true, there are some members who want to serve the Lord, who have the desire, but who do not read their Bible faithfully. They do not pray to God sincerely. They are not drinking the waters of life, they're, every day, they become more forgetful, become more distracted. Then you have immaturity. Then you have pride. You have jealousy. You have fights, even among Christ's sheep. Christians hurt other Christians. These sins grieve and offend God. Sins of others hurt us. They take away our joy. Sometimes it's even difficult to go to hear the voice, the Good Shepherd in church, because someone else hurt us. And then we ask, well, how, how, is, how is this possible? It shouldn't be hard to go to church. It shouldn't cause this discomfort in my heart to go to be with the people of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ. Could it be that the church is not true? And then you even hear people who are so disappointed they, they even leave. The true church of Jesus Christ is assembly because of the weakness of others, they say. Sometimes people think that the church is, is a, a place without sin 
where only righteous people can go, if that's our mindset, then when we see problems in the church, it can really shake us up. Happens a lot for young people. They see a man who looked so godly, and they realize he did something horrible. And the whole time he was in the church, what's happening here? How is that? How's that possible? That place is a place full of hypocrites. Is that true? The fact that there are still sinners in the church is exactly the point. The church is made up of people. People that God has joined together. And one thing we have in common is that we are sinners in need of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together. That desire to be made pure in Jesus Christ. We are not robots, we have emotions, and we are weak. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived, do not not fool yourselves. We are not here because we are better than others, or because God says there is nothing wrong in you. But we are here because we are sinners. When you come up to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to celebrate it in the pew, and you show yourself to be different from the world because of your union with Christ. As you take that cup, you, drink, you eat the bread, you're just declaring to the world, I'm a worthless sinner, and I need Jesus Christ. And then you look around and you see, well, I'm not the only one. We have to know that we're sinners, but we should not let that sin then take away our joy in Christ Jesus. In fact, it should... It should make us even more joyful. Wow! Even that person is forgiven in Jesus Christ. One day there will be perfection. When we read about that in Revelation, it's a church like a pure and white bride coming down from heaven. Before that, there is a struggle against sin. If you don't believe that, then you just need to read Paul's letters to the churches. You see the reality of the situation on the one hand, people of God in Jesus Christ. And then he says, you know, why are you biting and devouring each other? Why do you keep forgetting what you have? Be who you are in Jesus Christ. If you believe that the church on earth here has to be perfect, and that no one has the right, and they don't have the right, but no one should be sinning against you or hurting you. And the question is, why are you still here? How could you be a member of a perfect church? If the church was perfect, no one would be here. Our salvation does not depend on the mercy of others, but our salvation depends on the work of Christ who has, who already bought us with His own blood. The church lives in the promise of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and the reality of this forgiveness. And that's 
Well, we need to notice the Apostles' Creed. First, the church. Then we read, the next line is about the forgiveness of sins. It's immediately after the confession about the church. The church exists because of the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus. The church exists only in Christ. So let us give glory in the church to, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What a privilege to be here. We don't deserve it. What a privilege to be here in spite of our own weaknesses, our own anger, our own pride. Sometimes even against our own will. What a privilege to know that God works in our hearts by the Spirit, that Jesus Christ is gathering His church, that He put you here today. So we live each day, we come to, we worship. We love to worship. How can we not? We have this opportunity. And even though I am a sinner, even though I fight against hypocrisy, and although the people around me are not perfect, this church is the church of Jesus Christ. And I am a living member of it. It's hard to make this confession without, without shouting, smiling. It's true. I am a living member of this church. And I'm together with others to readily, cheerfully use my gifts for the benefit of other members. In spite of our weakness, we are here. And then we hear of God's divine promise. There's weakness in the church, but that does not mean we should accept this weakness. In fact, we know that our own sins actually are staining the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our own sins give a foothold to the devil. That's why we fight against them. We hate what our sins do to the body of Christ, to, to others around us, to, to the glory of God's name. So, it's a, it's a big struggle. We get disappointed. And then we can read what God promises us. He promises to preserve us. Now we have that confession, Lord's Day 21, about the church defending, that Christ is gathering, defending, and preserving Himself. Church chosen to everlasting life. And when we consider our own weaknesses, we wonder how. And then you can look at the Canons of Dort in chapter 5. Page 582. In this chapter, we, we make a confession about how it goes. We confess that we still struggle against sin. But then in the third article, we confess because of these remnants of indwelling sin, and also because of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God who is faithful, or God is faithful, who mercifully confirms them in the grace once conferred upon them, and powerfully preserves them in that grace to the end. We fall into serious sins, Article 4. We see how these sins offend God, Article 5. But God will not permit His elect to be lost and will renew His elect to repentance. 
That's the promise that we confess. It's a great, wonderful guarantee for us. We live in the forgiveness of sins. We live by the grace of God. And God says He will preserve us to the end. So we've talked a lot about attacks in our own lives against sin, sinners, other sinners in, in, our, in our midst. But we believe that Christ preserves and protects the church in the, the unity of the true faith. He is also helping us in our struggle against the enemy, against the wicked, against the devil. And the Catechism talks about the protection of the church. So this preservation, this protection, it refers to Psalm 129 that we read together. It's a proof text. And in this psalm, the church sings that that the enemies that afflicted Israel from her youth have not prevailed against her. Although the church is suffering and even with enemies, plowmen, plowing furrows, on their back. You see that? Verse 3. The conclusion of the psalm is wonderful. The Lord is righteous. Verse 4. He is faithful to His covenant. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. Well, who are the the wicked? Who are the enemies? Verse 5 says, All who hate Zion. The church is suffering under the attacks of the devil, temptations of the world. There's a lot of outright opposition. Today we see the persecution. We see Christians being killed because they are Christians. You as well here in Canada are vilified because of your faith. What's behind this? They hate Zion. It's hatred. And in this context, the psalm promises that the Lord will protect us. They will turn back in shame. They will wither like grass on the roof. We will be preserved. Psalm 125 speaks the same promise. Psalm 124, which we sang, shows us that God has brought, brought us this far. Made it up to this point in the protection of, of our Lord. We, we begin our worship service with that beginning. And psalm 125 is a psalm of trust that the Lord will continue to protect His church. We see that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but which endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people both now and forever. The divine promise for the church. We have weaknesses. We even fight against each other once in a while because of our pride and our arrogance. But the church is God's church. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself is is gathering us together. And as He gathers us, He says, I will protect you to the end. The The mountains surrounding Jerusalem, so I will surround you. Obedience to the call of the Good Shepherd today has eternal consequences. 
fact that you have obeyed that call and you are here today can know that there are eternal consequences. There will be a church. If Jesus Christ has not returned, there will be a church on earth for our children, for our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Not because of our strength, not because we made everything just right, but because God is at work in our midst. Brothers and sisters, when we struggle with the church as something that we have made, we have done, those are tough struggles. It's good to stop and to remember. God has brought us together because of our common faith in Jesus Christ who saves us from our sins. He will keep us together until the end. Lift up your eyes and see from where your help comes from. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Let's now sing together in response Psalm 87. Please stand if you are able.
now have an opportunity to give your thank offering to the Lord. The offering this afternoon is for the Canadian Reformed World Relief Fund. After that, we will sing together just one stanza of Psalm 68, a psalm that speaks of God as all-powerful, a mighty warrior who protects his Zion, his people. And we'll sing the stanza that is reference to the Lord's care also for the fatherless and the widows which is what the deacons are involved in. We'll sing that after the offering.
bowing together in prayer. Gracious Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise You for Your work in our lives. We praise You for the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. We praise You for our Good Shepherd who leads and guides us by His Spirit and Word. Lord, we understand what a privilege it is to be called out of darkness into Your light. be called out of the world and worldly thinking and patterns to be returned back to the way You made us in a relationship with You and love to one another. Lord, we praise You that our lives may be lives of celebration. And whatever our situation, even in times of hardship and worry, times of struggles with our health, with our jobs, times of concern, even when we think about the government, the culture, the society in which we live, Lord, we may know Your promise to preserve us at all times. To keep us together, You do not let your permit, you do not permit Your elect to be lost. What a wonderful blessing, O Lord, to live our lives in this way. We pray that our whole life may be dedicated to You, dedicated to, to gratitude, to thankfulness. Lord, we thank You that we may live in a society where we can meet together as Your people in freedom. We pray, Lord, that You will be with the church that is persecuted many places in the world. We see the violence that is being done against our brothers and sisters, against those who profess their faith in You. Lord, as one suffers, we all suffer. We pray, Father, that You will sustain and encourage our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. They may find their comfort and their their, their confidence in, in Your promise and Your Word. Lord, that they may not, we pray that they may not have fear of death, but may know the truth that You have revealed that death is a, an entrance puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life, that they may have courage even to the end. We pray, Father, that You will use their suffering, the suffering of us all, to testify to those who hate You, who hate Zion. They may see what a wonderful blessing it is to be Your children. We pray that You will work powerfully in their hearts, that they too may, may join the number of those could say that they were born in Zion. We pray, Father, that you will also we also pray for an end to the persecution. Some countries that have suffered for so many years with such oppression, such violence. Lord, we pray that you will give relief to these places as well. Lord, as we pray for our brothers and sisters in other places, we also pray for our own government as we also head into election week. Lord, it is 
major topic of our discussion. Lord, help us to think carefully, to be discerning citizens of this country. And we, ha- we pray, Lord, that in all that we do, we may recognize Your sovereign control. Lord, we pray that we may also have a voice in this country. We pray for the work of We Need a Law as they also come. The campaign comes to Vancouver this week. Pray that You will magnify their little voice, that it may grow and reach many more people. Lord, we, we cannot move these things along with our own strength, our own yelling. But Lord, we know that You bring the Word, You bring the truth to the right people. We pray, Lord, that this may go well, that it may be a blessing, that it may open the eyes of many. Lord, we pray that You would also spare the work of this, may also spare the lives of many who are being killed as vulnerable children. We ask, Father, that You will continue to watch over us as a church, as a congregation here in Cloverdale, Your church here in Cloverdale. We pray for the office bearers, that they may be faithful in their task. We pray that You will bless Reverend Lauder and his family, his wife, Marina, at this time. Continue to bless them, give healing, strength, Encouragement and courage. We pray, Father, that we as a congregation may show love to one another just as we love You. We pray that this may be visible in our lives. And we ask, Father, that the doors of our church may be be open to receive all those You you bring to us set in our path. Doors of our church and also the doors of our hearts. So that Your name, O Lord, may be glorified. Your name may be honored. We pray, Father, that You will bless the work we as churches are doing in other places in the world. We thank You for the fruits we can see, preaching of Your Gospel. See whole new churches come to understand, to preach the Gospel. We thank You, Lord, for Your power, for Your might that we we could see. We stand in awe of Your majesty. We pray, Lord, that You will bless also the work of CRWRF, Canadian Reform World Relief Fund, and the collection we had today that may serve this work. We ask, Lord, that You will hear us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now sing in response uh, hymn 46. Uh, all stanzas.
receive the blessing of the Lord and go your way in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Carry on.